Let's today talk about anime, and in particular, Neon Genesis Evangelion. Now right at the start here, I do feel the need to say that I'm not trying to convert you to enjoying anime, nor is it important to me that you enjoy anime. Anime, of course, being hand-drawn or computer animation, videos, TV shows, movies, originating from or associated with Japan. In particular, in the coming weeks or recently, you may have heard about Evangelion, and you'd be surprised by how much it's already affected your life. In fact, it is the 17th highest grossing franchise of all time. As of a 2018 count, it had an estimated revenue of $14.9 billion. In plain terms, you've probably seen it around. In more practical terms, you've probably seen a video game skin with purple and green on it, which is usually a straight reference, as well as maybe a green or red skin in one of your favorite video games. It tends to permeate the markets, particularly when it comes to anything involving giant robots. The reason you might be seeing it recently is because Netflix just released a redub, a recasting, a re-recording of the English lines over the original animation. This has caused a lot of debate among diehard fans whether or not the old dub was better or the new actors are superior to the old actors or why Netflix isn't allowing you to watch the original recording of the lines. It's also been retranslated, so some lines have changed, which you can imagine with fans how that can cause some turbulence in the water. So next time you see one of those why it's okay or why fans can't handle it articles, know that we're dealing with a pretty minor topic here. The original recording of the Japanese lines is still in existence, and with any translation, with any foreign film, it's always important to note that the original cast... The artist's, the director's original interpretation is going to be the closest to the pure experience you can get. So take all that argument with a grain of salt. But where did this all come from? Why is it important? Well, it's about the mecha anime genre. And how all animes evolved along with the release and popularity of Evangelion. Mecha is just a shortened English loanword, it's known as. Mechanikuru. Mechanical. There's a fascinating cultural thing about the Japanese language where foreign words are translated into its own version of the alphabet and then read in a more local dialect, but still keeping the word foreign. In short, animated Japanese shows that feature robots piloted by people. And perhaps, on top of that, the drama of the pilots who drive those giant robots. And there are two types. Super robots, which are just as far as you can imagine, battling monsters, shooting lasers, getting crazy. And then real robots, which are governed by reality, physics, tech limitations, and the more realistic stories you want to tell along that side of the genre. This all started in 1940 with a short manga, a comic book, if you will, Denki Dako, Electric Octopus, it featured powered, piloted, mechanical octopuses. This thing is adorable, by the way. You should give it a quick Google search. And it's funny to think that this is where perhaps this all began. 
from the humble beginnings of driving mechanical octopuses to battle each other. In 1972, Japan's greatest manga creator, Go Nagai, defines the super robot genre with Mazinger Z in both manga and anime form. 1977, there's a huge boom in robot animes, including Brave Raiden, Dawn Guard Ace, and this leads to a market for robot toys and commercialization, which ties almost directly with the 1970s and 80s, our He-Mans, our Star Wars, in general, the booming toy industry, which allowed many of these shows to push the envelope a little bit, have bigger production costs, because they knew that on the back end, they would make that money in the toy sales. 1979, Yoshiyuki Tomino creates Mobile Suit Gundam, another one you might have heard of on the sides of anime conversation. This defines the real robot genre. You could call this one more of a Game of Thrones compared to Lord of the Rings. It's about the factions, the politics, the back and forth, and the pilots are just pilots who need mechanics and help and repairs and are limited by the execution of their own piloting skills rather than ancient magics or anything along that sort of line. There is no great evil, there are no monsters to fight outside of the human monsters. 1990, we have Pat Labour, or Patrol Labour, a giant robot police force that became the first mecha anime popular to Western audiences. This is now a forgotten franchise because it gets completely run over in 1995 by Shin Seki Evangelion, or Neon Genesis Evangelion, that we're talking about today. A huge influence on the super robot genre. Remember, super is this fantastical monsters and imaginations the limit kind of robot genre. And completely overtakes the real robot genre that had been reigning supreme for quite a while now. Further, it spreads anime across the globe. Which is weird, because Evangelion is weird. It is a very strange story. It's a very strange interpretation. However, it is a gem of animation. The quality, the bounds that were pressed at the time, just resonated with fans everywhere. And it's hard to think of an apocalyptic or psychological drama show that hasn't been influenced at some point by Evangelion. Fifteen years after a cataclysm known as the Second Impact left the world shattered, young Shinji Akari is recruited by his estranged father, head of a top-secret organization, to pilot a mysterious mech suit known as the Evangelion to fight invaders called Angels. Well, you've probably heard Weirder. Probably because Weirder's been made after it was influenced by this show. The original broadcast was October 1995 to March 1996. The director, Hideyaki Anno, in 1980, studied animation at Osaka University of Art, but was expelled 
because he focused too much on self-financed films, didn't pay tuition, and no longer attended his classes. In 1984, Studio Ghibli was running low on animators for Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Anno was taken in and animated some of the most complex scenes for the ending of that film. Now, you might know Studio Ghibli for some of its later productions, such as Princess Monoke, Howl's Moving Castle, Ponyo, had a very big Disney-based release, and was in a lot of people's minds back in 2008. At this point, they're not quite a studio, and weren't formally organized into a studio until 1986 with Castle in the Sky. That same year, he co-founded Gainax, brought together with some old Osaka colleagues, and together they produced the film Royal Space Force. He goes on to have his hands in Gunbusters, 1988, Secret of Blue Water, 1990, The Grave of the Fireflies, 1987, and in 1995, Evangelion launches Created by Anno. Now, anyone who's watched this anime can realize that it changed a little as it went on. It ran very close to deadlines. The first two episodes were screened three months before it officially aired. And by episode 13, the total enemies, these angels, of 28 were cut down to 17, and the ending had been highly changed. If you do take it upon yourself to sit down and watch the creation... There's a pretty big plot and dramatic shift around episode 16, where the grand narrative about salvation of the human race against these invading angels refocuses on individual characters, and this was influenced by Anno's recent interest in psychology and mental illness. Famously, the last two episodes are a complete departure from the rest of the series. There's abstract animation... Uh, flashbacks, line drawings is generous. It looks like someone just sat down with a blue marker and had at some doodles for a while. If you could call them doodles, they're more like school table scratchings. There's even odd photos thrown in. This is all rumored to be part of budget cuts, but the truth was that Anno couldn't decide how to end the anime when the time came. In fact, there's also a bit of rumor that he had become rather... Uh, disgruntled with the fan base for these giant mecha animes and decided to change things up a little bit. This, of course, caused outrage among the fans who wanted to see the story completed and led to death threats. Without the internet, it seems that fans aren't so different back in the mid-1990s. In 1997, there are two response films to give alternative endings for fans of the show, Death and Rebirth, and The End of Evangelion. The entire series, over time, recovers from this drama and is a huge critical success domestically and internationally. It's ranked as an anime masterpiece, wins tons of awards, revitalizes anime during a slump period. Perhaps most interestingly, particularly for those of you who enjoy shows that end, it imposes a new standard on series. It caused a concentration of resources to fewer but higher quality episodes. It gave the authors and directors 
more control over the whole product and freed up the constraints on the merchandising front to allow for those higher quality episodes because there was more funding on the back end. We still have shows today that just don't stop and go on and on and continue to build their franchise, but because of the popularity of Evangelion, there was now an example of a show that ended and was successful and continued to be successful. You can see this directly in the animation style. There is a standard of quality that lasts the entire production, except for those final episodes where things get weird. Whereas when you watch other animes from the late 80s, early 90s, they pick and choose their animation teams. And you'll often seesaw in quality. Nowadays, even on cheaper shows, even your home Fox cartoon comedies, there isn't a lot of variation episode to episode because we use computers. Though you might see less expertise in the action that might be happening in that particular episode. One of the other big things it did for the genre was changed up how the characters interacted with each other. In particular, that the protagonist here, Shinji, is an introverted and negative individual, rather than an extroverted and positive, bubbly force. There was also a shift in the father figure, who in this show was sinister and menacing, rather than a saintly figure. In general, it opened the doors for darker stories to be told through animation. And any show that ends with what we would now maybe call a subversion of expectations can trace its influences back to Evangelion and the popularity, the floodgates it opened for these shows to be produced in the first place. So when you see that article this week about the most controversial anime ever coming to Netflix, know that you're dealing with a precursor to everything that has been labeled controversial in your latest TV and movies. Is it worth a watch? I'd say so if nothing but for the animation. There is a weight, a realism to the movements of these giant robots that makes it fascinating. And the fight scenes, if nothing else, are worth looking up on YouTube. Remember all those bubbles that were animated in the background of Little Mermaid? It's one of those sort of feats. And today's computer animation has cheapened this particular style quite a bit. Think of it like a documentary, perhaps. You can find the RSS feed for this show at kyleferguson.com, two S's in Ferguson, and you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Ferguson. Subscribe in whatever podcast feature you like to use, and I'll see you next week. Bye.